but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells me so. Why they don't let me sing in the worship band uh, is beyond me. It has, uh, that's part of my uh, daddy-daughter time when my daughter goes to bed. Every parent has uh, a routine uh, to get their kid to go to sleep. And uh, that is part of our routine. She has grown to love singing. Uh, neither me or, or Ava are, are singers, but she loves to sing. And uh, so she sings, Jesus Loves Me. Has anybody ever sang that song? <laughs> we ever sang it with a young child, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the the Bible tells me so. Whether or not she fully gets it, she has a rudimentary understanding that Jesus loves her. And I'm thankful for that. And we grow up, we're raising her in a world where life is going to throw so much at her as she grows older to question everything about that simple little statement. Jesus loves me, this I know. I have uh, led youth groups when I was a former youth pastor where I have come home and she was, she was in her crib at that time and just wept. In situations maybe of, of, of rape or death in families or, or, or cutting or things of that nature. And I just came home and I just remember weeping over her. We have police officers here among us and, and, and you see things every single day that I'm sure you go home and at times, you weep over your child saying, how can I raise this child in this world? How can I teach them, Jesus loves me, this I know, when everything around me is communicating otherwise. And, it, and, it, and as you take down that thinking, as you continue on in that, the path of that thinking, it, you start to question truth. Jesus loves me, this I know is truth. But yet we live in a world where truth is becoming more and more irrelevant. Where to have an absolute truth is now seen as closed-minded or offensive. And so we live in a world where there can't be absolute truth. And if there is truth, truth has then become irrelevant because what's true for you is true for you is not necessarily true for me. My truth is not your truth. There is, you can't have an absolute truth. And so it breeds a culture of temptations. It breeds a culture where things are up and down, where things are wishy-washy, where things are chaotic. Because everybody's defining it in, in their own right, allowing us to allow circumstances, desires, longings, whatever we want to cling to, to define everything about us. Jesus is preparing for a life of mission. We're, we're closing up our Couch to 5K series. This, is, this will end his time of preparation. The next thing we start looking at is, is he, he's, he's thrust into chaos. And, and, and how is he going to move forward in mission and purpose? And here's, what, here's what's going to be drilled home today. is you, Jesus, you better hang on to truth because what's coming is going to make you question every ounce of truth. So in your preparations, hang on to truth now 
or it's all going to be blown to smithereens. And so our section in, in Luke chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It's in your app. You can pull up the app and look at Luke, uh, Luke 4 in there. Or if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of ours on the way out. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by whom? The Spirit in the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by whom? The devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days. And here's one of the most obvious statements in all of Scripture. <laughs> and when they were ended, he was hungry. <laughs> Jesus, you catch that opening statement. He's led by whom? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit into, into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit drives him there. The Holy Spirit brings him to a place to encounter the devil for a purpose. And Jesus will be better for it when it's all said and done. He's hungry. As he's, as he's experiencing Satan face to face with the devil himself. Here's where, if this was you and I, here's, here's some of the excuses that we would make if we're facing this type of temptation. We would look at it and say, well, I'm inexperienced. That if we gave in to the attacks of the evil one, Jesus could say, I haven't quite gone into ministry yet. I'm inexperienced. Have we ever heard anybody make a mistake and use inexperience as a reason why they made that mistake? He's from a tiny town. I'm, I'm, from, I'm a small fish in a big town to say. Jesus could have said something along those lines. I'm, I'm beyond myself here. He, he could have said that I'm in the wilderness, that, that the Spirit led me out, but there's no one here. I, ha I don't have my 12 homeboys yet. I'm all alone. And so in my loneliness, that's why I'm going to go the route of doing something bad. He could have used that as an excuse. Or, since we know that he's hungry... He could have used his hangry to be all sorts of an excuse. Have you ever met somebody who's hangry, who's very, very hungry, and it's like a one-way ticket to be, it's okay to be rude when you're hangry? Jesus could have used that as an, as an excuse that he's mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. So in this place, in this setting, the devil is tempting Jesus, the first temptation we see is a personal temptation. The devil will say to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It's a simple truth. Jesus, you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. And so that slithery little serpent of a being, devil Satan jerk himself, comes in and says, hey, just, you know what, turn the chair into bread. Have all the carbs you want. Eat, eat, turn it into bread, eat it, and, and you're, you're hungry. Just, just go that route. That has to be a tempting thought for Jesus. If you are the Son of God, make it happen. We might not see it as a big deal. So what? Jesus is the Son of God. What if he does turn it into bread? What if he does eat it? What's the big deal? It's a very big deal if we think about it from this standpoint. If you are the Son of God, put God to the test. If you are the Son of God, act independently of God. Provide for yourself. You don't need God's provision. You can provide for yourself. The 
devil is slithering his way in to weasel his way into the most important relationship man, humankind could ever have. Man and God himself. If God was to, if Jesus was to do that, to satisfy his own need, to act independently, he would hinder, he would hurt the unity between him and his father. And hurting that unity would also be undermining the trust that he has for God. Satan is, is saying things to get him to doubt God's provision. Isn't that what he did in the garden? Did, did God really say, don't, don't eat from that tree? Did God, he, he, he sneaks his way in. Did God doubt, 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 doubt? Did God say this? Just go and eat the tree. It's not that big of a deal. He's always trying to get us to question God's ability to provide. And so what does Jesus do? I love it. He answers the scripture. He doesn't go on to some sermon. He doesn't say like, well, scripture says and then go on to this long discord. He's just like, here's matter of fact. You want to lie to me? Here's truth. Here's God's word. That we don't live on bread alone. I'm good with my father right now. It's, we're going to look at this in our life groups. If you're not in a life group, get into a life group. This week in your life groups, you're going to look at the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was always allowing hunger to dictate their relationship with God. Jesus didn't do that. Israel got in trouble, Jesus didn't. So here's a, here's a snapshot of uh, one of my taco reviews from working up to Easter. Uh, this was a time when we were doing barbecues, I think, uh, which tastes just like Taco Bell, ironically. So we didn't give it a very high score. Alicia gave it like a four or something. And, uh, so, but I love, I love that we did a Fiesta, uh, a fiesta Easter. Uh, next year I want to do uh, Easter Italiano so we can do lasagna, taste test all that stuff. Yay! And... Uh, <laughs> This looks like y'all are going to join me. Because <laughs> I, love, I love food. I, I, I used to be a little heavier. Food is still a god in my life, unfortunately. I, have to, I usually do wake up, and at some point in the morning, I ask him, hey, what's for dinner? Because that will help me dictate how I should eat throughout the day. Food can absolutely still be a god in my life, and I hate it. So here's, what, here's one of the practices that I have to do every single week, literally every single week, some form of a fast. Whether it's a full 24 hours of not eating or whether it's just I'm just going to do a morning shake and then not eat for the rest of the day, something. I do some sort of a fast every single week so that I can have my uh, more intense time with God, but also to show to me and to, and, to, and to say to God, God, I'm not going to let food be a God in my life anymore. And you know what happens when I do that on a weekly basis? This is, this is, as I start to crave food, you know what happens to me? I start to rationalize things. Have you ever been there with a craving where you're craving all of a sudden? You're like, you, you want to give in to your craving, and so you start rationalizing things. So when I'm fasting, here's, here's what normally happens. When I do a 24-hour fast where I'm not eating any food, usually by 7 o'clock I'm pretty hungry, and I can get a little hangry, if you will. And so here's what I start doing. I'm like, well, I'm not eating food, so let's just make a wicked, awesome glass of chocolate milk. Because that's not food. And, and, and sometimes I do that. I'll go to my fridge, I'll pour the, the, the milk, and then it will be, be scoop after scoop after scoop. Because I'm like, just give me all the calories. I'm not eating. That's okay, right? And so I, I look to chocolate milk <laughs> to fill me. And I drink, I, I do, I drink so much chocolate milk when I'm fasting sometimes. But, but the reason is because I'm rationalizing that it's okay when really it's defeating the purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because I'm trying to prove I don't need food to fulfill my cravings. I just went need Jesus. And so the very thing that's been drilled home in the previous section, the baptism, the, the genealogy that we looked at, 
all pointed to this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. This is a known fact. And here's where Satan creeps in. Your very identity is now being called into question. If you are the Son of God, are you really the Son of God? The, the, the thing that we should take the most confidence in as children of God is what Satan is primed to attack. Those things that are forbidden in our lives, Satan uses to try to say, this is forbidden, God says you can't do this. Well, this is where you should find fulfillment. This is where you should find provision. These are the things you should go to instead of God. And what happens is a slippery slope to those things becoming our identity. We start to question God's goodness. And the challenge to be independent we allow our cravings to become our, our identity. And in the nature of our identities, we start rationalizing. And we start rationalizing away our identity. Saying, God, I was born this way. You were born. I, you, you, you birthed me with this craving. So I was born with this craving. I start rationalizing. Therefore, I am my craving. No. You are a child of God. And when you rationalize your sinful cravings for fulfillment, your cravings have become God rather than Jesus. And so here's the second temptation that, that is thrown at Jesus. It's, it's a power temptation. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all of this authority and their glory. And for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. Then, that if you then will, here's the caveat, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's a slightly different strategy we're saying is taking him, showing him the kingdoms of the world. Here's what could be yours. Entice him with something. And he's, he's, he's being misleading. Has Satan, does Satan have a, 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 an elementary, have, have a level of authority here on earth? Yes, it has been given to him. But Satan doesn't have authority to give away authority. He doesn't have authority to give away glory, to give away power. His authority is limited. And so he's assuming something that is not his, and he's offering up to Jesus a gentleman's bet, a gentleman's handshake, if you will, at the cost of Jesus' integrity. An opportunity that would cost you your integrity is never an opportunity. So he looks, what's the big deal? Just, just bow, worship one time, and then it's all done. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do anything. It, everything is solved right then and there if you just give in in this one little moment. He's going to Jesus and offering him the, the birthright of the Messiah without the details to become the Messiah. He's offering him uh, power over the world without first suffering on behalf of the world. He's offering Jesus a shortcut. Are we ever tempted to take a shortcut that costs us our integrity? He's offering Jesus glory without 
Gethsemane. And it will have eternal consequences if he doesn't. Because the cost is worship of something he is not created to worship. It sounds great, but Jesus knows scripture too. I am to worship the Lord your God and him only. So according to scripture, this is not an option. Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't give in. He says, the glory I want is from the Father, not from you. And so for us, our mission statement, our mission statement is this, that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community. This was tested for us. We, we were at Capone for two months. We were, we were at, in their comedy club on Sunday mornings. If you, were, if you were here in January or February, you partied with us in the back of a comedy club. It was different. And, and so we were there. We got a taste of what a building would be like. And it was great. We were able to do some community things. We were able, we were able to make that as like a hub to go out and do laundry mats and to do other things. It was, we saw how a building could help us reach the community even better. It was wonderful. But here's the temptation. To make, to get into a building before God would really want us to. To shortcut the process. Because what I saw last week was incredible. We had our second highest attendance ever. We saw tons of people come to know Jesus, our children's ministry. Here, people were coming up. Three people that came up, then joined a life group. Everything was awesome. But here's what you maybe not, didn't notice, is that we were short in volunteers in our children's. We were short with aisle hosts. We were short in our parking lot. We were short in many areas that showed me if God was to give us a building right now, that our systems are not ready. And you want to know what very, very honestly happened? I, a month and a half ago, sat down at a table. Ava was there. And uh, we sat down at a table. I had ready to make, ready to sign a deal of sorts with, with a company, with a, with a group of people to, to purchase a building, to lease out a building. We, we had a deal verbally agreed upon, and then they wanted about two to $300 more a month, which isn't a big deal. It's a small little thing. But I, w- I was growing uncomfortable, and so we never signed the deal. Had I thought that be God's will, or had I made my will above God's will, I would have gone back to our executive team that oversees the finances and said, give me two or $300 more so we can make this deal happen. I would have forced it. But knowing what I know now, I don't think we're ready. I think we need a season of strengthening our nets, strengthening our core, strengthening what is before us so that we can better reach the community. People falling in love with Jesus reach people for Jesus. And so we aren't going to shortcut the process, but we're going to take a season to strengthen what is before us. So we don't get off mission when God makes an opportunity available to us. Is your mission Christ's mission? Is your purpose Christ's mercy? purpose? And what shortcuts does Satan throw your way to circumvent it? To to avoid it? Rarely, rarely is God's way the easy way. Usually he takes us on a path that demands our strength and our trust because it's his strength and our trust for him. Rarely is it going to be an easy way out. Rarely is there a shortcut. There's one giant shortcut. Say yes to Jesus, let alone his life flow through you. And so here's the third temptation. It's, it's a pride temptation. And he took him to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if, again, calling his identity into question, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, 
He will command the angels concerning you to guard you on, on, uh, on their hands, and, and they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it, it, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus, Jesus knows his identity. Everything has been drilling in. His identity is not to be called into question. It's a matter of fact. I know very well one plus one is two. I know basic arithmetic. If you were to come up here after church and try to explain to me how one plus one equals two, isn't that mildly offensive? Because I know that it's a fact. I don't need you to test me or teach me something that I know to be certainly true. And so Satan slithers his way in and is trying to get him to doubt something that is show, supposed to be certain. And in this, he is, he is putting to Jesus this presumption that God does not care. Test him to prove that he cares. Where if you're a child of God, you know he cares. You don't need to test God in his provision because you know it. Because Jesus has displayed ultimate care for you and I. We don't need to put it to the test. But Satan is trying to get Jesus to go into a show-me state with God. And you know how he does it? He twists Scripture. He quotes Psalm 91, but he leaves one little part out. He says to guard you, but then he leaves out in all of your ways. He doesn't quote that portion of the psalm. Because he understands that he's, he's saying this to Jesus, and Jesus will understand that my ways are supposed to be his ways. That, that God the Father is living his life through me. I don't need to put him to the test because I'm, I'm walking in step with the Father. And, and the Father is not asking me to throw myself off of a building. Therefore, this isn't a test that I should attack. He leaves that part out. And Jesus knows full well he doesn't need tangible proof. And so he goes to Scripture and says, nope, here's proof. Satan is still, is still doing that. I, I googled this this, um, this week. Scriptures that we often take out of context or just completely misuse. Uh, and maybe we've said it. Uh, things that are either, okay, have we ever said spare the rod, spoil the child? Maybe some of us have said that. Here's the actual verse, though is that he who spares the rod hates his son, and he who loves him is careful to discipline him. It's not quite like that. That carries a, a, different, a different thought process. Have, has, have any of us ever said money is the root of all evil? Perhaps some of us have said that. Satan slithers his way in and gets us to misuse Scripture. Well, well it's really not that. The, the verse is that the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. Or, or God don't like ugly. Has anybody ever said that? That's simply nowhere in Scripture. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I've actually said this one before. And this, I was like, oh yeah, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> James 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the closest thing that we can get to that. But cleanliness is next to godliness is actually not in the Bible. Money cometh to me now, not in the Bible. Blessed and highly favored is perhaps taken out of context. Sometimes it's said of people, but it would be taken out of context. Sometimes, I've said this before, touch your neighbor. That's creepy. That's not in the Bible either. 
All things work together for good, the verse there is, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him. It's a little bit different. All things work together for good. It's not a direct quote from the Bible. God moves in mysterious ways. It's not actually in the Bible. There's a verse that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. But it doesn't say God moves in mysterious ways or that pride comes before the fall. It actually reads pride goes before, the, before destruction and the Holy Spirit will, will breed the fall. Satan is, is awesome at knowing scripture well enough to manipulate it. You know the one I hear the most? is judge not. We, we all said that. We, 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 are, we are growing in the society where we're saying judge not. Here's, here's the context of that verse, though. Judge, judge not that you will not be judged. We've all said that. For, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? How, or how can you say to your brother, let, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, first, take the log out of your own eye, and you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so does, does when we say judge not, we say it as in, like, leave me the heck alone. Uh, I'm, I'm doing this sinful thing. I'm doing this wrong thing. Well, judge not. I'm okay. Leave me alone. Well, the verse actually talks about, come to your brother in love. Come to them without this, this level of judgment that you're above everything else. That, that here I come at you because I'm, I'm the perfect son of God when you're not. Knowing that I have my own crud too. And when I understand that there's a log in my own eye, then I'm able to come alongside a brother and sister in Christ and say, you know what, that sexual sin, I've struggled with that too. Allow me to love you and show you scripture gently to say, this isn't God's best for you. I've struggled with drinking too. Allow me not to say, well, you're a stupid drunk. Stop doing stupid drunk stuff. Instead, let me look at the log in my eye and say, I've struggled with this. This isn't God's best for you. You're more than this. That's the context of the verse. But Satan has this way of slithering it and obliterating it all. And he does it in a place of comfort. He takes Jesus to Jerusalem where he's going to be comfortable and he's going to have his guard down. Doesn't, doesn't Satan do that to you and I in our places of comfort is sometimes when he attacks. Or for our comfort is when we're, we're okay with twisting scripture to make us more comfortable. And so Satan calls in our identity. He brings us to a place. He, he, he thrives in our weaknesses where Jesus wants to show our strength through weaknesses. He attacks our pride to make us think that humility is, is for the weak when humility is what God loves. He tries to twist our loyalty to make us more loyal to self than to God. And he's trying to manipulate our identity. He's trying to manipulate God's care for us. He's trying to manipulate God's plan, his methods, our faith. And so Jesus doesn't take the bait. He proves that there is no shortcut. He says, here's how I'm going to respond. It is written, it is written, it is written. You want to lie to me, I'll respond with truth. And I'll keep responding with truth. And that's what leads to being uncompromised. So how much are we clinging to truth? How much are we not able to see Satan's lies because we don't fully know truth to know that it's a lie? The end result, though, is this in verse 13. And when the devil had, had ended every temptation, so there was likely other temptations beyond this, that he departed from him until an opportune time. 
So that Satan is there looking at this, like, you haven't eaten, and, and, and you're physically weak. Every, like, this is the most opportune time. That's how we started. But then when Jesus is strong, he says, oh, there must be a more opportune time. Like, what more opportune time could there be? What put Satan on the retreat? Jesus clinging to truth. You want to put Satan on retreat in your life? Keep holding fast to truth. Keep speaking truth. That's the anchor for your soul because Jesus is truth. So the liar goes on retreat. This is a picture of John uh, Spano. If you have any uh, Islander fans in the house, there's like three nationwide. We might have one of them. And, uh, and so he's, uh, he, he's a guy that I think in the 90s, he was worth about $5 million dollars. And uh, he's from Dallas, the Dallas area, and uh, and so he would he was part of this elite golf uh, club, and at the golf club was like Jerry Jones, Mark Cuban, other like elite people from the Dallas area, and uh, he he liked kind of keeping up with the Joneses, as to say, and talking a big game and making his net worth seem more than it was because these guys were worth significantly more than he was, and and so he had an opportunity to buy the Dallas. Well, he didn't really have an opportunity. The Dallas Stars became available, and so he tried buying them, and he would forge documents. He would lie, 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 manipulate his own net worth. The Dallas Stars kind of caught on to it, and they, they ended negotiations with him, but he was still trying to, like, keep up with the people at his golf club buddies. And so he tried buying a team in, in Florida. That didn't work out. And then the New York Islanders became sale for sale. And so he went in, and he was able to, to create a deal. Uh, he, he landed a, a media deal. He landed a deal with the, the previous owner for, I think, like $170 million, and, uh, and he was worth five. And, uh, and so he had to, like, now he had a deal in place. Now he had to come with the money. Now it's coming time for the closing. And uh, he, what he did was he went to New York City, and he went into one of the high-rises. He went with forged documents from a bank, and he was able, he said, it took me 30 minutes, and I walked out of this high-rise building with $85 million. <laughs> he had half of the payment for the team. But he didn't have the other half. And so he, he goes to the closing table and he makes up this deal that says, here's half up front. And now, because I have money tied up in other things and investments and other things, I want to give you like $16 million over, I think, five payments or something like that. And, and so here's how, that's how the deal is going to be. And then each, each deadline for the deal, he didn't have the $16 million. He never had the $16 million. And, and at one time he lied. He said there was a bombing in London or something like that. One of the lies he told them was that the courier that was going to the bank for the transfer uh, got caught up in all the festivities of the bombing and couldn't quite make it. And, and so he needed another day. And, and that was one lie that bought him another day and another day and another day. And eventually it all folded. But when he signed, the, the, gave them the half the money, he technically owned the team. He fired the coach. He, he put the coach as part of the GM. He, 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 he was acting as, as, as the owner of the team, doing all these things, but it was built on a house of cards, a house of lies. And that's the very type of thing that Satan wants to try to attack you and I with, to build our lives on a house of cards, a house of lies. And so our big thought for the morning is that truth withstands evil. You want to fight evil? You want to fight temptation? You want to fight those things? Cling to truth. Because where Satan will test us to bring us to a place of sin, God will put tests in front of us to bring us to a place of obedience and to strengthen our obedience. Jesus doesn't enter into rationalization. Jesus is confident in truth. He doesn't need to go. If, if, if you and I know truth, but we want to go to a sinful route, it guarantees us that we're going to go to a place of rationalization. 
If God truly loves me, if God wants my happiness, then I can withhold money. I can keep my money. I can start rationalizing. I don't need to tithe. Or God, God loves me. He, he's going to protect me. I can take one last hit. God loves me. Sexual sin is not a big deal because God wants my happiness, my cravings, whatever. Uh, that my identity is my my sexuality. That's never. That's nowhere in the Bible. Your identity is Jesus Christ. And so we go to this wrath of rationalization where we say one little f bomb, one little thing is not that big of a deal. And perhaps it's because we go enter into rationalization. Satan doesn't. Satan has never, here's what he's never done to me. He's never walked up to me and through somebody else throwing a pound of crack on the table. But I've been tempted with drinking, I've been tempted with cigarettes, I've been tempted with different things. Start that little ball rolling. Because we would look at this temptation and say, bread, bowing down to Satan for a moment, we would look at these things and say, it's not that big of a deal. But if Satan can weasel his way in and get you to believe one lie, then it's another, then it's another, then it's another, then it's another, and then, then where are you? Your house is built on, on lies. As you start rationalizing away, rationalizing away. I want to invite Lori up here. Lori, somebody that has shared her testimony with us before. Uh, Lori will sit at the top of the stairs. Uh, since you're limping a little bit, I'm crushing you in the Fitbit now. So Lori is someone that has shared her testimony with us before and uh, has, has a, a past with addictions and whatnot. And so here's just the basic question I wanted to ask yeah. you. Uh, is for these people, uh, what, coming out of that scene, there are probably now that you're, 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 clean, and now that you're living a life for Jesus, I'm sure that Satan is trying to throw lie after lie after lie at you. So what are the lies that you are tempted to believe? Really sorry, guys. Um, I was just brought to tears over here. It happens a lot. I'm not going to apologize for crying because they're good tears. So when we did this on Thursday, um, I have no idea what I said on Thursday, so <laughs> I might repeat myself. I might not. Let me just say this. Leading up to Thursday, knowing I had to speak in front of everybody, I kept hearing that voice in my head saying, you're not worthy, nobody wants to hear what you have to say, you're a heroin addict, like, no one cares. But I did it on Thursday, right? And then I saw the video of myself. Oh, let me just say, self-esteem issues run deep. I do not like seeing myself on film. And I realized just now, he was doing it again. He was doing it again, he was telling me, nobody wants to look at you up there. And it's those voices that you hear in your head that you have to change. Like, that's not the truth. You want to hear what I have to say? I want to, I want to share. God uses me as a vessel. I don't know what it is. I get up here with literally a blank slate. I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth. I hope, I hope it's not curse words. I'm working on that. If I curse at church, you will you never do. see me again. No, but seriously, the lies that he tells us and the things that we believe about ourselves, they're not true. You have to, discernment was my word of 2017. Like, you need to discern where those thoughts are coming from, and you need to change it in your own head, because if not, it becomes a cycle of what you said, of believing the most ridiculous things about yourself. So how do you, now yeah. my second question, yeah. how do you, like, how has church, how has the relationship with God helped you to remember right. truth, 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 truth? All right, so shameless plug again. I remember what I said on Thursday. <laughs> Join a life group, people. Let me tell you something. I was going through something a few weeks ago, and I reached out to Carly, 
don't know where she is. There's my Ava. Hi, buddy. <laughs> Yo, Carly and Ava showed up at my work 15 minutes later, and we cried our eyes out in the back room because I needed those women in my life. Like, I, t I tell people, you grab onto people that love Jesus. That's what you do. You grab onto other people that have been where you've been, and you, and you grab onto people that lift you up and that want to make you a better person. And that's what I did. And I want to say something that I, I realized. Something amazing about the people that I know here is they ask if they can pray with you. Praying is such a spiritual thing between you and God. And when someone asks you beforehand, hey, may I pray with you? They want to be in your world. Like They want to be in your life. And that's what they did for me that day. And just join a life group. Like, get to know people. It's great to come here, and but it's so nice to get to have friends that you want around. And that's what I do, man. I change everything. Amen. Thank you, Laurie. Give her. <laughs> join a life group where you can remember truth throughout the week as you dig in. And my challenge to us this week is just that. Dedicate your first 15 minutes to truth. And so on your way out, uh, either an aisle host or a door greeter is going to give you a, a little card that says, on Monday, read Luke 14 and 15. Uh, on Tuesday, read these chapters. On, and just to wake up and give your first 15 minutes to Jesus, remembering truth. Not for some overly spiritual reason, but just knowing that Satan is going to throw every lie at me throughout the day. So I'm going to start my day with truth so that I can distinguish the lies when they come my way. But here's, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a gift. It's like Oprah. I want to give you a gift. Here's where I do my best rationalization. When the alarm goes off, but my alarm is this, my phone, my alarm goes off and I rationalize five more minutes, five more minutes. I rationalize, I rationalize. Your best rationalization comes when you first wake up. And for me, it's rationalizing more time, but then it's also rationalizing, well, Facebook needs me. Uh, Instagram, my email, my text messages, it all needs my attention right away. And so because this is my alarm clock, this sucks me in for like 10, 20, 30 minutes. And so what I did this week is I went old school. I stole my alarm clock from my, from my wife, and I've been using this and saying, until I have time with Jesus, I'm not going to use this. And, and so I went on Amazon and bought two old-fashioned alarm clocks for $9.98. And it's my gift to two of you that want to walk out here and say, I'm going to take the challenge, but Facebook is a big distraction. Social media, my phone is a big distraction. Well, here's an old-school alarm clock to help you not rationalize the way anymore if you're going to take the challenge of an alarm clock. These things still work. <laughs> so what I want to do is simple. I want to end by singing a song that I know to be true. That death was arrested and that your old way of life is dead. Satan wants you to think that your old way of life is still alive and active and, and let it be alive and active, but no, it is dead. Jesus makes us alive.